In one of her books, Elizabeth Elliot, famous missionary, um, she tells a story in one of her books about a young man uh, who, who wanted to do Christianity right. Uh, he was a relatively new Christian. He was, he was ready to forsake the world and live for Christ. But he wasn't sure what that meant. So he went to a local um, Christian authority and he just asked the question, what should I forsake? What should I give up from the world? And, and according to Elizabeth Elliot, here was the answer. Colored clothes, for one thing. Get rid of everything in your wardrobe that's not white. Stop sleeping on a soft pillow. It's worldly. Sell your musical instruments and don't eat any more white bread. You cannot, if you are sincere about obeying Christ, take warm baths or shave your beard. And that's just for the ladies. <laughs> Two, sorry. That's not in there. Um, then he added, she adds this. To shave your beard is to lie against him who created us. It's an attempt to improve upon his work. Doesn't that seem like a ridiculous list? It is. But according to Elizabeth Elliot, it came from one of the leading Christian schools of thought in the AD 300s. That's what Christianity looked like then, apparently. It's funny how time changes some of those things. Like today, the beard thing got me. Like today, my, my brother's got this fantastic or awful, depending on how you look at it, beard that's about this long, right? It's like, the, that's kind of the, uh, it's kind of a rebellious look against normal standards, right? Today, the great big ones, I mean, you put rubber bands in it and stuff, right? Apparently in the 300s, those of us without beards would be the rebels, trying to improve upon how God made us. Now, each generation has these things. And whether it's appearance, uh, what we wear, the music we listen to or sing, we have it in church, we have it in, in thoughts, we have it with our you know, medical technology. It's, it's really easy to feel like we are in the advanced age, right? And we look backwards at uh, all those Poor sobs that lived before us, right? And, and uh, they're just not as advanced. They don't have it all together like we do. And it's easy to forget that a generation or two from now, they're going to be doing the same thing to us. We are going to be the ones they look back on that way. This is one reason why it's really, really important to know the foundations of our faith, what they are and what they aren't. Because you want, to know, you want to know something that hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what hasn't changed? What God has revealed to be sin in this book is still sin. And it always will be. But it's really easy 
as an as a individual, as a church, there are movements within Christendom who have always made the mistake of taking things that are not revealed to be sin in here or, or things we must do in here and try to make them must-dos or can't-dos and try to build what Christianity looks like off of these things that are not revealed as sin. It's really important to make sure we're standing on what never will change. Last week in the first half of Romans chapter 14, Paul began discussing some of these, what, what I'm just going to call non-revealed issues. In other words, uh, things in the, in the scriptures that have not been revealed to be sin, yet we can still have very strong opinions about them. Paul called certain Christians weak in the faith and other Christians strong in their faith when it came to these non-revealed issues. And it's, it's really important to understand what he means and doesn't mean by weak. So here's a little bit of a review from last week, if I turn this thing on. Weak and strong Christians, here's what they are not. Paul is not saying that the strong Christians are the real Christians and weak Christians aren't actually Christians. And he's not saying that the weak Christians are immature baby Christians and strong Christians are mature Christians. That's not what this discussion is about. This has something to do with, like I said, these non-revealed issues. There are certain practices, behaviors, religious observances, actions, customs, that a certain Christian might take a look at that and say, this is something I absolutely cannot do as a Christian. And some other Christian feels free to do that very thing. Or there might be a religious uh, observance that one Christian says, I absolutely have to do that thing, behave that way on that day, celebrate that holiday, do that regular fast. Another Christian feels free to ignore those things. Paul told us that last week. They can both be right. They can both do those things to the glory of the Lord. Be that living sacrifice Paul is teaching us to be. Weak and strong Christians is not people who are trying to add behavioral requirements to what Paul has called justification by faith, salvation, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, so this is not someone who says, if you don't dress like we dress at our church, you're not a real Christian. Or if you do this or this or this thing that's not revealed in the scriptures as a sin, you're not a real Christian. That's not what Paul's talking about. Um, and he's certainly not talking about people feeling free to do things that the Bible does call sin. I'm going to be very clear about that. Um, we get our opinion on sin here. God gives it to us. If something is called sin, it's out. It's forbidden for us. Um, these are things that are, have not been revealed. So those, that's the kind of the issue that we're talking about. Paul gave us one example last time. His main example, he gave us a couple examples last time, but his main example has to do with eating or not eating meat. This was apparently a big deal in the very early church because Paul's never been to Rome. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. He's never met these people. 
but he knows this is an issue. It was an issue in Corinth. He wrote to the Corinthians about some Christians eating meat, some Christians not eating meat. He uses a couple of Greek words that are only used about the food laws. So I know the reason there are some Christians, the, one Paul, the ones Paul calls weak on this issue, there are weak Christians who abstain from meat. They absolutely can't eat it for religious purposes because they can't, they don't feel like they can honor God with their lives and eat meat. Probably here's why. They grew up Jewish and converted to Christ later. And as, as a good Jewish boy or girl, they never ate meat that wasn't what we call kosher, slaughtered in the right way. The Old Testament, the, the, the law does not outlaw meat at all. But it did say animals had to be butchered in a, in a certain way that made them okay, kosher. Well, these Jewish converts to Christ, now that they've become Christians, they're sort of exiled from their Jewish community, and they no longer have access to kosher meat. And in these more pagan areas, like Rome, where they have, especially they have temples to fake gods, like the Roman pantheon of, of, of gods, people would go in and, and do sacrifices to these gods. And there was so much excess meat, that became the meat market. That's where people got their meat. And so now, you're a Christian, you've never eaten anything but kosher meat, and now you, you may have to eat meat that was like offered as a sacrifice to some pagan god. The idea of putting that in your body became just disgusting. I can't do it. So I just swear off meat. Can't do it. Now, if you were raised in a pagan household, you ate that meat your whole life. There's nothing disgusting about it. Now you're just thankful to have food and you can practice your faith, Paul said. You can believe while you're eating the very meal one of your Christian brothers and sisters could never eat with a clear conscience. That was Paul's sort of go-to example. He also mentioned certain days, religious days. It might be the Sabbath. It might be days of regular fasting. Um, but some Christians say, I, I, I cannot like, be practicing my Christian faith unless I participate on that day. Somebody else says, every day is just like another. I don't have to do those days. And Paul said last week really clearly, both sides can be right if they're doing what they're doing for the Lord. In today's sermon, or today's passage, Paul's going to add, uh, he's going to add wine to that list, drinking of wine. So there's, those are the only three that he gives us. But that just lets us know this is a list, an incomplete list. So there are other things. All right, let's read our passage. That's enough intro and background. Let's read our passage and, and see what Paul has for us today. This is Romans chapter 14. We're going to read verses 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather let's determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to the guy who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food 
him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Verse 20. Do not tear down or destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives gives offense. It is good to not eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy or blessed is he who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. There's our passage. We start in verses 13 through 15, where Paul's mainly teaching this main idea that divisiveness can hurt other people, can can grieve, distress, destroy. He uses words that mean those things. This, when we um, take our preferences, our own personal standards, and, and go to battle on those things, we can hurt other people in serious ways uh, in this faith. That's the main idea. Paul picks up right where he left off in last week's passage, commanding us, we must not pass judgment on one another, but rather determine never to place an obstacle or a trap before a brother or sister. There's a little wordplay in Greek going on here. Um, This word judgment or judge, your your version might say, and this word determine are, are very closely related. Paul says, we're not to crinomen, we are to crinote. Hear that? Paul's saying, instead of judging one another, determine to not hurt somebody with your preferences. Make this determination right now. I'm not going to hurt another Christian with my personal preferences. Again, we're talking about non-revealed as sin issues. We are supposed to hate sin in our brother or sister. But this is different. What's interesting to me is Paul never explains what this obstacle, what this trap, what this stumbling looks like. He just doesn't tell us. I wish he would have given us some examples. I assume this means it could take on lots of different forms. Mainly, this is for the strong person today, Paul says. Paul's like, if you are free to do a certain thing, make sure you're not hurting someone else who does not feel free in that area. It makes me think of this. Here's, a, here's an idea I come up with. I tried, since Paul wouldn't give us examples, I tried to come up with one. One area that I would say in this sense, I am strong and strong and weak thing. I mentioned this last week, calling someone weak in this way, it sounds more pejorative to us than Paul meant it. In other words, it sounds more like a put down. This, 
Somebody, Paul told us to make up our own minds and have some strong feelings. So in an area where I might be weak in this sense, it's okay. It's just like it's okay. Okay? So here's an area where Paul would say I'm strong in. We don't push Lent very much here in this church. In a few months, when it's going to be an Ash Wednesday comes and goes, we're not going to be putting anything on people's foreheads. Uh, and we're not, as a church, going to be do, doing a lot of Lenten activities. Why? I, I, don't, I won't give you the, the full spiel, but, you know, originally that's about kind of punishing, uh, giving stuff up, fasting. It was, it was penance. It's punishing for, for the sin that I have. And I believe he already took every bit of punishment we need. So we certainly don't do any of that. Um, and then I just... I am free to not observe that day, just like Paul said in this passage. Now, we have, like me and Rachel, lots of people here who come from different uh, Christian traditions in our body. And some of you might have been raised doing Lent stuff, and it's still important to your faith. So here's where I could be laying an obstacle or a trap for you. When you tell me, you know, I, I usually drink two Mountain Dews a day. And I go, like, how are you still alive? Like, but that's your thing. And after Ash Wednesday, you tell me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that up. And every, you know, every day, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm getting anywhere before God. I don't think I'm going to go to heaven because I don't drink Mountain Dew for 40 days or anything like that. But during that time when I would have one, I'm going to drink a glass of water and talk to the Lord you know, about his fizzy goodness instead of the, the, the Mountain Dew or whatever it is. Hey, is that an acceptable practice? Could you do that? Absolutely. But if I'm strong in that area and I start bagging on you, sort of making fun of you like, oh man, you're still doing that stuff, right? Here's why you don't need to be doing any of that stuff. And I start bagging on the way you are practicing your faith and like I convinced you to like crack open a Mountain Dew and drink it really out of sort of pressure toward me. But then at home, you feel like the Lord's saying, I thought you weren't going to do that. I thought you were going to spend that time with me. What are you? So you feel lousy? See, that's a trap I set for you over my preference. Now, Paul's got more to say about that. We're going to talk about that sort of thing a lot this morning. But before Paul does, he says any more. In verse 14, Paul lets us know where he stands, at least on the three examples he gives. Paul's strong in these areas. In fact, he's emphatically so, to quote one of the um, commentators I read, who was quoted by two other commentators I read for this sermon. Paul's very emphatic in saying I know, and I'm convinced. And then he calls on the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus, this stuff is not unclean in itself. The stuff I'm talking about. So for Paul, it's the religious days and observances, the meat and the wine. Like, I couldn't be more convinced. That's not, I can't point at that and say, that is a sin no matter what. I, I couldn't be more convinced. But then Paul says something kind of confusing. But to the guy who disagrees with me, it's actually unclean. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that thing's not unclean. 
But my friend over here who says it is unclean, he's right too. He says the same thing at the very end of this passage. We'll do this verse now. The man who doubts is condemned if he eats that meat because he does not do it from faith and whatever is not, uh, whatever is not from faith is sin. So how can both of these things be true? Paul says that absolutely is not sin. Somebody else says, yeah, it is. And Paul goes, yeah, he's right too. Do we get to, do we get to pick and choose what is sin and what's not sin? No, Paul would say, may it never be. But in these areas where we can have our own personal convictions, if I browbeat that person into drinking the Mountain Dew they vowed to not drink during that 40-day period, that can be sin because they, they were going to do that for the Lord and they messed that up. And I made them. Um... Paul has told us, make your mind up on some of these things. And then stick to them. Um, we, could have, we could have someone who has decided, I cannot go dancing. Right? It feels too sensual. It feels too whatever. I cannot be a good Christian and go dancing. We can have another person in our church who's a professional dancer and is a Christian. Can the professional dancer, you know, just be all hung up that this prude over here refuses to go dancing? Why don't you live a little? No. They can be right, and the professional dancer can be right. And once I've made up my mind, this is how I'm going to be a living sacrifice to the Lord. Paul says, if you violate that simply to cave to someone else, somehow Paul says that's sin. Now, can people change their minds? Change their convictions? Sure. Sure, that's happened. The Berean Fellowship of Churches used to be sort of illegal for a pastor to not wear a coat and a tie. That's changed. Am I in sin right now? Because 30 years ago, I would have been like ripped out of the pulpit. Maybe longer than that ago. No. Anyway, you get the idea there. Paul moves on. I moved on too far, didn't I? There we go. Four, if your brother or sister is distressed... Because of what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy. That's a big word. Do not destroy by your food someone else for whom Christ died. I think here we get the, the best idea of what this stumbling might have looked like. Paul's talking about which issue here, which one of his examples? Eating what? Eating meat. Okay? And he says, look, if your, if your brother or sister, your fellow Christian, gets tore up um, from the meat thing, you're not loving your brother and sister. 
Here's the way I think this worked. This is opinion time, okay? But this is how I picture this going down. You are that first century Jew, never eaten anything but kosher meat. So it's been, we'll say, three years since you've eaten meat. Not because you don't like meat, mind you, because you can't get your hands on kosher meat. Well, then all of the various house churches in Rome are going to get together for what we would call communion. They call the love feast, and they're going to have their big dinner and share communion together. And as you show up, guess what you start to smell? Guess what the former pagans are preparing for the lunch? Meat. They got a brisket on the smoker over there. And, and you, don't, you don't eat meat. But remember, not because you don't like it. And it smells so good. And so now, you either give in to your flesh or, or follow the Lord the way you have decided is best for you to follow the Lord. And suddenly, being with your Christian brothers and sisters makes that harder to do. And we have a problem. So Paul is saying, hey, strong brothers and sisters, like, your Jewish brothers and sisters are more important than the meat. Like you can't be cooking that when you're getting together. All right, we'll move on. You ever heard church, or you ever heard sayings like this in church? Keep the main thing, the main thing. Major on the majors. You ever hear that? This passage is. Maybe the main reason why we have sayings like this. That's Paul's idea, main idea in the rest of this passage, 16 through 23. Um, after he's just said, um, you can't, meat eaters, you are effectively um, excluding the meat abstainers. If you have a barbecue when the church gets together, the meat abstainers can't come, Right? How about this? Can they invite their family? What about their unsaved Jewish family and friends? Can they come? No. That would be a barrier, a trap that you just set in your Christian freedom for that person's family. After saying that, Paul says, therefore, don't let what you consider good be spoken of as evil. Now, if we're not careful, we can take that one really wrong. Because it can sound like Paul is saying, don't let anybody talk bad about your standards. You stand up and tell them what you think is right. No, the whole point of this section is you can't cause divisiveness over these things. You can't fight. You have to leave room to accept one another. So what's Paul saying? Like, this can be taken a couple of different ways, and you can take it whichever one of these you want, because I'm not sure. I go back and forth. The first is, in that scenario we just walked through, the meat abstainers who maybe have to leave the meal, how are they going to be talking about their brothers and sisters who were, you know, had the pig on a spit over there, <laughs> rolling it around while their Jewish brothers and sisters walked in? Are they going to be talking good about their brothers? No. No, so don't use your preferences as, as something that will be divisive or, I kind of like this one better, 
Paul could be saying this, because this is wordier. The Greek's really simple here. It just says something like, uh, don't let your good be spoken of as evil. And Paul might be saying this, hey church, what is your good? Like what's the best thing about the church of Jesus Christ? It's the gospel, it's the fellowship, it's our family. And Paul could be saying the divisiveness, when we make the minors the majors, the rest of the world starts talking about what's our best. Does that make sense? Like, the rest of the world, like, there goes that church again. They can never get along. All right, they say they've got this message that gives people peace with God. They can't even keep the peace amongst themselves. And it makes the whole message look bad. Um, don't let your good be spoken of as evil because we have decided that to be a real Christian, you know, dress like this and look like this and whatever else. Paul tells us why in verse 17, why he's been telling us uh, these things. For the kingdom of God does not consist of food and drink. You know how we could translate that to help us understand it better, I think? Because this is just the two examples. This is the meat and the wine. Paul says, the kingdom of God doesn't consist of your preferences. The kingdom of God doesn't consist of how you think you should dress when you go to church. Even though Paul said, have some strong opinions on that stuff. But that's not what the kingdom consists of. Have a strong opinion on whether or not you eat meat, whether or not you go dancing, whether or not you whatever else it is. But don't confuse that with what the kingdom of God consists of. The kingdom of God consists of the righteousness we have because we believe in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God consists of the peace we have with God through our faith, faith in Jesus Christ and the righteousness we've been given. The kingdom of God consists of the joy that we share because we are all united with God in the Holy Spirit. Paul says the guy or the gal, the person who serves in this way is two things, pleasing to God and approved by people. I want to pause here for a second. The person who serves God in this way, what way? By keeping the main thing, the main thing, and leaving room for people to differ in these non-revealed ways, is accepting and is welcoming of the people, even though they don't eat meat. I mean, who could be dumb enough to not? Never mind, never mind. Right? You get the idea? I'm warm. I'm accepting of people who are different. The person who serves Christ in that way, check this out, is pleasing to God and approved by people. Is that a... Is that how we're supposed to live our life, hoping to be approved by people? No. What does Paul mean, though? Will the world hate us sometimes if we live for the gospel? Of course. But boy, it's easy for the world to hate us sometimes, and we think it's for the gospel. But it's really because 
we've majored on the minors. It's really because I have these behavioral standards that before you can come in here, you got to look and act and eat and drink and whatever like the rest of us. Um, in general, like you ready to write this one down? Write this down, ready? If you're taking notes. The world likes people who are nice. Kind. Generous. Loving. Now remember what real love is. We defined that several weeks ago. I'm not being loving if I just let you sin and sin and sin and sin and sin if you're my brother. But someone who doesn't know Christ, we shouldn't expect them to act like Christians. Right? The one who serves in Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by people. The world's going to hate us enough. Let's just make sure it hates us for the right reason. So Paul says in verse 19, let's pursue, let's chase after what makes for peace and for building up one another. Boy, everybody wants peace. But it's really easy to think, we would have some peace. You wouldn't be hearing this from me if you would just act the way I do. Think the way I do, look the way I do, and we'll have some peace. That's not pursuing peace. We have to leave room for our brothers and sisters who differ in these areas. Um, People can differ in these areas without us labeling them bad guys in our hearts. That's important. Divisiveness just doesn't look good on the church. If it's not something the Lord has told us to be divided over, to, to, to part ways with. Sermon for another day. In verse 20, Paul tells us what the risks are. Paul says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of, again, your preferences. The God of the universe is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. Isn't that true? So how could a little old me or a little old you destroy the work of God by our preferences? Let me give you a personal illustration of how I think this works and what Paul means. Uh, we moved to Kansas City uh, years ago when we went to uh, seminary. And you know where I'm going with this already, don't you? Um, excuse me, one second. And the, the very first church we visited, um, you know, we walked in the, the very first conversation I remember having in that building, uh, very nicely, we had our then very small children with us, uh, and she asked us, what are you going to do with your children? And like, I didn't even know what she meant. I was like, do with them, like, like we're going to try to keep them alive, I guess, we're going to feed them and stuff. Uh, and she said, is sensing my confusion... She said, no, I mean, how are you going to educate your children? I said, oh, that's really cool. We've got this neighborhood school right down the road from our house. And so we told her our kids were going to go to the public school. And you should have seen the look of disgust on this woman's face. We learned later that was the homeschool church. Okay. We settled. We didn't go there. We settled later at a different church, which, by the way, was the Christian school church. And we didn't do that either. But listen, 
what if we weren't, instead of a seminary student, what if we just moved into that neighborhood and that's the first time we went to a church ever? Or what if we left the church because we were so damaged by some who knows what church experience we had when we were younger and we thought, you know what, we're finally going to go. Where do we go? I don't know. Let's try that one. And we went in and that's, the, that's how we were greeted. about this? What if the Lord had work he would have loved for us to do had we got started in that church that we were? We can destroy the work of God when we don't keep the main thing the main thing. Here, in our little town, we'll, we'll get personal here. Most of us send our kids to public school. You want to see me start to get upset? Make it difficult for our families who've chosen to do something else. Because this shouldn't be the public school church any more than that one should have been the homeschool church. This church, I, I don't want, like, I don't, I'm sure... Fill in this blank. I don't know what the rest of the town or the area calls this church. That's the blank church. But whatever that, whatever that blank is, like shouldn't be one of these issues. Like I don't want this place to be the can't dance church or the no trick-or-treating church. But listen, there better be room for folks here who've decided we don't dance and we don't celebrate Halloween. You see the difference? You can have that conviction and there's room for you here. We're just not gonna make, we're not gonna put that conviction on the sign or we're violating this. Paul wants us to have convictions. We just have to make sure there is room for us each to have some different ones. And remember what the risk is? God's got work he wants to do here that maybe he won't do. Which is why Paul finishes, we did verse 23 already, Paul finishes with these two verses this way. He said, it's good. Oh, he also again says, all things are clean. It's just wrong to hurt somebody with your preferences. In verse 21, it's good to not eat meat or drink wine, even if you're a meat eater and a wine drinker. It's good to give that up if that causes your brother to stumble. But you don't have to change your convictions. Look at this, verse 22. The faith you have, keep to yourself before God. Take your convictions with you. Just be generous and welcoming of others when you're with them. And don't practice your conviction in a way that causes uh, disunity. Does that make sense? Paul says, you know, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be someone who doesn't judge himself by what he approves. It's a blessing to be free in one of these areas. I mean, would it have been a burden to decide I can't eat meat the rest of my life? Like, that would be, for me personally, like, just kill me now, please. <laughs> Paul says it's a blessing 
to be free in some of these areas. So don't make it any harder for a brother or sister who doesn't have that blessing that you have. And I'll leave us with this. Like, what do we want our main thing to be? When other people in, in this area of the world think about Imperial Berean Church, what is it we want them to think? What is it we want them to not think? I hope, again, I hope it's not an issue. I hope it's not a person. I, 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 I would hate it if this was, if this was the Maxwell Church. Make me throw up. I would hate it if this was the, oh, that's the church that, and fill in the blank with something derogatory. I'm sure it's out there. I don't know what it is. But boy, wouldn't it be great if when people thought of this church, they thought, that is a church who accepts people who are different from them without sacrificing, um, without wavering on what the what the scripture says. Like those people take the Bible very seriously, but they will love you. They will love you when you bring your issues in. Like they'll walk with you in those things. Like they believe this is the word of God and they believe people can grow all at the same time. Wouldn't that be great? Those people get along, they love one another, even though they were raised differently, they, uh, they think differently about this thing, but you can just tell they love one another. Wouldn't that be great if that's what people thought about this church? Listen, they ain't gonna think it out there if it's not true in here. Like this passage, this is a house-cleaning passage. Right? Um, let's keep our main thing the main thing, welcome and love people where they are at, grow together, and be accepting where we differ in non-revealed ways. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that you are a God who made a way to accept me. Um, and my differ the difference between me and you is infinitely greater than the difference between me and any other person who has ever lived and yet you graciously accepted me. God, help us navigate the, this, this tricky thing of loving people who come out of a sinful world and still hating sin uh, and then having strong convictions and yet accepting people who have different convictions than us that haven't been revealed as sin. Help us to know the difference in those things that the rest of uh, this part of the world would see this place as a group of people who love the word of God, who love Jesus, who proclaim his name and yet love one another and love sinners to your glory. God, help us keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus Christ salvation that comes through faith in him alone. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand and we'll finish.